When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Yep, I practiced that. My wife's been lighting a lot of candles to get us through the winter. I am the light of the world. What an astonishing thing to say. Jesus sure has a big view of himself, doesn't he? I mean, that's no small claim. We've all heard it before. I am the light of the world. He doesn't just say that he's bright and shiny and that people should look at him. That'd be one thing, right? Hey, I'm bright and shiny. I'm really something to see. I have a glory about me. Check me out. Look at me. I practically glow. But that's not what he says. Jesus doesn't claim to be a bright light in the world. One of several. He claims to be the light of the world. The world here is cosmos in the Greek. Humanity united in sin and darkness. And Jesus says that he has slipped into the darkness of this cosmos, this darkness of the world, and has turned on the lights. And in fact is the light himself. Last time we were in the Gospel of John together, a couple weeks ago, I pointed out that Jesus has a way of making everything about himself. Here he says, if you don't have him, then you have darkness. If you do have him, then you have light. And more than just light, you have life. Listen to John 8, 12 again. I think this was the last week for John 5, 24. Next week, let's do John 8, 12 as our memory verse. Listen to this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Most every morning I get up before the sun does. And in the winter, I put on my heavy coat and my reflective high-vis vest and my heated gloves and my boots with cleats strapped to them, and I grab my flashlight. I head out on my walk. Now, this time of year, it's not as important as it is in December. In December, if I don't take my trusty flashlight, then I often could be stumbling around on my morning hike. Maybe take a nosedive, especially on the ice. I fell hard once in winter of 21. Still hurts. I need a light or I walk in darkness. Jesus says that if we follow him in life, we will never walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. What does he mean? Now remember that seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am, and then he fills in the blank, right? 
I am, and then he, he fills in the blank with a wondrous description of his true identity. We're going to see there are seven of these as we go through the Gospel of John together. We've already seen one of them. Anybody remember what it was? I am the bread of life. Yeah, bread of life. Chapter 6, verse 35. The bread that leads to life. The bread that endures to life. The, the bread that if you eat it, you, you live forever. If we treat Jesus like we treat bread, then we will have eternal life. Well, here Jesus is promising the same thing, but with a different metaphor. Jesus says he gives the light of life. The light of life. Life eternal. Life better than anything the world offers. Life that knows what reality really is. Like you light a candle in the dark and you see what's really there, right? Life that escapes the death of darkness. Life that comes through the light. You know, there's no life on planet Earth if there's no light, right? It's the light that produces life. Life in Jesus' name. That's the name of our series. Life in Jesus' name. Light is a metaphor here for the glorious power of Christ to create life within the believer, the light of life. John talked about this way back in chapter 1. He says this is why Jesus came. Chapter 1, verse 4. In the word was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. I was complaining to Heather Joy yesterday about how wonderful this verse is. <laughs> Something you should never complain about, right? This verse is just too good. I just I can't capture how wonderful this promise is. I can't put it in other words. What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? Light speaks about power. Light speaks about glory. Light speaks about beauty. Light speaks about purity. Light speaks about holiness. Light is about life. It's just a small word, light, and another small word, life, but together that's everything, right? And if you don't have it, you have nothing, right? You, you have darkness, you have emptiness, you have ugliness, you have impurity, you have sinfulness, you have lostness, you have death. Do you feel how big this is? John 8, 12 is everything. Think about the opposite. Jesus could have said it like this. Whoever rejects me will always walk in darkness and will have the darkness of death. That's the flip side. That, that's true as well. That's how important it is to understand John 8, 12. It's the difference between light and darkness. It's the difference between life and death. I have three points of application this morning, and they're each a matter of life and death. Number one, follow Jesus and have the light of life. That's, that's what he says in verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, there's the condition, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a promise. Well, the application is obvious. Follow Jesus. If you have never begun to follow Jesus, then it's my joy to invite you to start today. He will never lead you astray. 
He will be your light and he will give you life. He will be for you like the pillar of fire in the Old Testament that lit the way forward for God's people in the wilderness. You will not be tripped up or trapped by your sin, by Satan, or by the world. You will be free and walk in the freedom of light. Come follow Jesus. If you've already begun to follow Jesus, then I encourage you to keep going. Stay his disciple. Stay on the narrow path. Keep following Jesus. He will light your way. He will actually be the light of your way. Last week we talked a lot about marriage and how our theology of marriage is a mark of our discipleship. And we talked about a lot of the ways, you don't have to get married yet, Claire, it's okay. It's all right. Oh, she went to mom and she was fine, Josh. What's the story there? Yeah. Last week we talked about a lot of the ways that we might struggle to follow Jesus and do marriage or singleness Jesus' way. Following God's good design for our bodies, our relationships, our families, our marriages. You know, it's not always easy to do it his way. It's not always easy to follow Jesus in discipleship. But that's the path that's illumined for us. That's where he's going. That's where the light is. Don't go off into the darkness. Follow Jesus and have the light of life. It's worth it. Following Jesus is always worth it, especially in the light of eternity. Now, you can already feel how Jesus is saying that there's two sides here. Two sides and only two sides, right? There is light and there is darkness. And we have to choose. In the rest of chapter 8, that choice becomes even more clear and stark. In the rest of chapter 8, Jesus gets into a verbal confrontation with the Pharisees. You could kind of feel the tension as Keegan was reading it, reading it, right? When I first taught on John 8 25 years ago, I called this section the fight with the Pharisees. It's going to take us at least two weeks to work all the way through it. The Pharisees, by and large, did not follow Jesus. They did not like what Jesus said in verse 12. They did not receive him. They wanted to debate with him. And in fact, they rejected his claims to be the light of the world. They objected. Objection, your honor. Look at verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him. He's just said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. And they say, no. They say, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. You're not the light of the world. In fact, you're an unreliable witness in your own defense. And Jesus said, oh, I'm sorry, I must have spoken out of turn. No, that's not what he said. No, he, said, he gets feisty with them. Jesus fights back. Look at verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. Jesus says that he is qualified to talk about who he is because he knows who he is. And they don't. He says they're ignorant I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. Do you know what we call that when you don't know where somebody's coming from or where they're going? Darkness. 
Look at verse 15. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, not the way you do. These guys were looking at all the wrong indicators to figure out who Jesus really was. They were focused on all the wrong things, outward appearances. Well, he doesn't look like the Messiah that we were expected, must not be. He's certainly not the Messiah I wanted, must not be. And they were missing the light of the world. Jesus says he didn't make decisions about people based on a limited understanding of outward appearances. Like his father, Jesus looked on the heart and he knew, he knew where people really were because of his relationship with his father. Verse 16, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the father who sent me. Now think about that verse for just a second. What's that sound like to you when you, you hear it? To me, it sounds like John 5. Remember all that stuff we read about the mind-blowing, mind-bursting things we read in John chapter 5 about the Father and the Son, God the Son and God the Father? It also sounds to me like chapter 1. Notice what Jesus says is his relationship with God the Father. Jesus is not alone. Jesus is the Son. He's the Son sent by the Father. How many times has he used the word sent so far in the Gospel of John? It's going to be hundreds more before he's done. So he's from the Father. He has fromness. Remember fromness? To use that language we used before. But he also has withness, doesn't he? He's with, I am not alone. I stand with the Father. He's from and he's with the Father perfectly What do we call that, Curtis? Inseparable operations. And tomorrow you're going to use it on Greg Strand, right? Yeah. They are two. I'm sorry. They are one, but they're also two and perfectly together. Now they're one and they're two. And two is the number of witnesses that Deuteronomy says you need to have to establish a matter. So even by their own rules, Jesus can speak as his own witness because he does not speak alone. Look at verse 17. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Right? That was a mic drop moment. That should have been the moment when it was all over. Jesus says that God the Father has sent him and testified that Jesus is his Son and the light of the world. Game over, right? That should be enough. Those are two pretty amazing witnesses. Like if you go to the trial and God the Son and God the Father are the ones giving the testimony, you should win at trial, right? Wasn't enough for the Pharisees. Look at verse 19. Then they asked him, huh, where is your father? Huh? How about you produce this father you're talking about? Are you talking about Joseph? Where is Joseph anyway? See, they're ignorant. Probably intentionally so. Of course, he had gotten into a lot of trouble when he said that God was his father back in chapter 5. But here he goes again. Verse 19. You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Let's make that point number two. Know Jesus 
and have knowledge of his Father. Know Jesus and know his Father. Jesus says that if you know him, then you will know God the Father as well. Now that's scary for those who do not know Jesus. Especially those who do not want to know Jesus. Because it means they will not know the Father. But it's so wonderful for you and me, isn't it? Do you want to know God? Do you want to know God? Do you want to have an intimate relationship, an an intimate knowledge of the Creator and Lord of the universe? You do know that God is high and holy, right? And invisible and glorious and lives in unapproachable light. Nobody's ever seen Him. But what does John 1 say? 118. No one has ever seen God but God, the one and only, nobody's ever seen the Father. But God, the one and only, the, the monogenes, the, the Son of God, who is at the Father's side, He's withness, has made Him known. Fromness. He has come so that we could know the Father. If you know Jesus, you know His Father. Does that make sense? Let me give you an illustration. It is a little-known fact that I proposed marriage to Heather Joy before I asked her father for his blessing. In fact, I proposed marriage to Heather Joy before I had even met her father and mother in person. Now, it is not a little-known fact that in-laws can be a big part of a good marriage. You might be wondering how I dared to propose without seeing fully what I was getting into. What would these in-laws be like? They were 2,000 miles away in Canada, but would become a big part of my life in a short amount of time. And I was accepting them sight unseen. Sounds dangerous, right? If not, you haven't been married. No, it wasn't dangerous because I knew their daughter. Because I had made a study of Heather Joy, I knew what I was getting into by seeking to add her parents to my family. I could have been wrong because I'm fallible and because Heather is not a perfect representation of her parents. But I had a pretty good idea of who they were before I ever laid eyes on them. And they turned out even better than I ever expected. Now think about Jesus. According to verse 19, he is the perfect representation of his father. If you want to know what God is really like, Look at Jesus. When you come to know him, you really know the Father. Jesus is going to basically say that in the upper room when we get up to chapter 14. He's going to say, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him because they've seen Jesus. So you want to know God? Study Jesus. That's why we're doing the Gospel of John. So we see Jesus, we see who he is, I am the light of the world, we know who the Father is. The book of Hebrews says, the Son is the radiance, there's a light word, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is the light of the world, he is the light of God, he is true light of true light. Now we accept that. We believe it. 
But Jesus was saying some really dangerous things right there in public. This is the kind of stuff that could get him killed. In verse 20, it says, He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet, no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Remember he said that to his brothers back in the last chapter, chapter 7? It wasn't his time yet. The hour of his passion had not yet arrived. That didn't mean they didn't want to arrest him. Doesn't mean they didn't want to kill him. They just weren't able to yet. Even though he was there at the temple saying things like, if you want to know God, you need to know me. That's the kind of thing he was saying. If you want to know God, Jesus says, you've got to know me. And if you don't know me, you don't know him. I am the light of the world. In verse 21, Jesus predicts the future. And for the Pharisees, the future is bleak. Look at verse 21. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are this world, of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Point number three and last. Believe in Jesus and have your sins forgiven. You see, the stakes could not be higher. He says it three times there, right? You indeed will die in your sins. That's scary words. That means these people would die with their sins wrapped around them and go into God's judgment. I don't want to be in their shoes, I don't want to be in my shoes. With my sin. In verse 21, Jesus talked about his death and resurrection and ascension. I'm going away. And you will look for me. And you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. I think he means that they'll keep looking for a Messiah even after Jesus' resurrection. The Pharisees will, by and large, minus people like Nicodemus, reject Jesus. And they will not go where he is going. If they reject him, instead they'll stumble in the darkness. You'll die in your sins. The Pharisees ask if Jesus is depressed and suicidal. Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? I don't think they really want to understand what he means. They're not seeking the truth. They're content to live in the darkness. Jesus says that the divide between them could not be greater. You are from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. And so you will go to hell. But we don't have to go to hell. We don't have to die in our sins. We don't have to stumble in the darkness. We can follow Jesus and have the light of life. We can believe in Jesus and have our sins 
forgiven. So that's the flip side of verse 24, isn't it? Just say it the other way. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Flip it now. If you do believe that I am the one I claim to be, you'll have your sins forgiven. You go into the judgment wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. Or as we've been memorizing, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. He's crossed over from darkness to light. Hidden in the words of the NIV are some very interesting words in the Greek. They're going to be front and center next week, Lord willing. Your translation may say something like, believe that I am he, right? Or it might actually just say, believe I am. Because that's the Greek, ego eimi. I am. Like, I am the light of the world. Or like at the burning bush, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. The NIV translation, I am the one I claim to be, is very good. I think that's the sense of the words here, the correct interpretation. But you can't help but hear that I am in there. Believe I am. These men do not. They challenge him again. Verse 25, who are you? Right? He just said, I am he. And they're like, who are you? Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. See, they didn't want to understand. Light has come into the world, but men loved the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to know who Jesus really is or who his father really is. But one day, everyone will know. Verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. I am, ego me, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Isn't that amazing teaching? Like every sentence is just pregnant with meaning. This is that amazing Trinitarian teaching that the Son is never alone. He is sent, but He is with. He's sent by the Father, but He's with the Father. He's not abandoned. He's not out there on His own, doing His own thing. Inseparable operations. Hit Greg up with it tomorrow. And everything he does is right. He always does what pleases the Father. What does that sound like? Just like what his father said at his baptism, right? Our baptism class looked at that this morning. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well, what? Pleased. Or he says, I always do what pleases him. So the father says, listen to him. Put your faith in him. Believe in him. There's life in Jesus' name. 
There's light in Jesus' name. Because, he says, the sun is going to be lifted up. Did you catch that in verse 28? Those words, lifted up? Jesus said in John chapter 3 that he was going to be lifted up, which could mean that he was going to be exalted, and of course he will, high and lifted up, we might say. But this kind of lifted up was lifted up on a pole. This is like the snake in the wilderness. Jesus was going to be lifted up onto a cross to die. I always do what pleases him. And on that terrible day, what pleased God was to crush his son and cause him to suffer, making his life a guilt offering for you and me. That's Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that means our sins are paid for. That means that we can be forgiven. That means that we don't have to stumble in the darkness. That means that we can walk in the light of life. Believe in him. Verse 30 says, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Some of that was fake faith, I'm sure. We'll see that next week. But some of it was probably real. And he invites you and me to believe in him today. Believe in Jesus and have your sins forgiven. Believe, know Jesus, and really know his Father. Follow Jesus and have the light of life now and forever. Because on the last page of your Bible, it says that in the new heavens and the new earth, listen to this, there'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Because Jesus was right when he said, I am the light of the world. Amen?